Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. Hi, my name is Jeremy Lightman. I am here with Zinc, that is one of the metal men in DC Comics, I'm told. Uh, and uh, we, our special guest today is uh, Pastor Kevin Hunley, and he's joined us and agreed to tell us a little bit about his ministry and, and also to help us walk through the sections of scripture that we're going to look at today. So welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Good to be here on the Joe Rogan podcast. <laughs> so, so Kevin, where are you now and what kind of ministry are you doing there? I am sitting in what used to be a porch of a farmhouse that has now become my office. Um, basically, here's a little thumbnail story on me. I've been in ministry for about 23 to 24 years, kind of on that cusp. Served in an urban setting in Milwaukee uh, as I vicared um, and did campus ministry in Milwaukee at the same time. Uh, was assigned to a mission setting out in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, right next to Hershey, Pennsylvania. Uh, God has a very good sense of humor. My wife is deathly allergic to nuts and is also allergic to chocolate. So we basically go to Hershey, Pennsylvania. Uh, sitting in our backyard, we could smell chocolate on the air just about every night. Um, then I was called to a large parish in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, we are, we are both from Wisconsin. My wife's from Milwaukee. I'm from the Janesville Milton area. So this was kind of like coming back home. Uh, we were at Bethany in Kenosha for 13 years. Um, large parish with a school that, that soon became multi-site, uh, while I was there. Um, so we had two worship sites. We called a first and second grade teacher while I was there by the name of Abby, who happened to bring this guy named Jeremy along with her because they were dating and then eventually got married. So that's how I got to know Jeremy. And, and what did you call Jeremy back then? Uh, Mr. Wonderful. Uh, or no, the, 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 what I think what you're referring to, Mike, is the, the term of endearment that we had for Jeremy, which was Jer Bear. Yeah. That's the one I was he's just for. he's just a cuddly teddy bear. Um, then I went to go serve the synod for four years uh, in the Ministry of Christian Giving, serving the the southeastern Wisconsin district. So I got to to serve uh, in that capacity. And now uh, during a pandemic, I took a call back into the parish to a rural congregation just outside of Lake Mills, Wisconsin. We are about. Uh, 15 feet from the I-94 roadbed, uh, about two or three miles out of Lake Mills. Little white church along the interstate, which I didn't know the name of growing up, but we would drive past it all the time. So I would call it Shepherd of the Interstate. Uh, but it's actually called St. John. And I've now been serving St. John since August of 2020. So that's a little bit about me. So what, what kind of ministry do you have going on there at St. John? St. John is, uh, is interesting. It's kind of the mother church of many of the churches, the Wells churches in the area. So St. John started um, close to 150 years ago, and it, it got to be the mother church of the congregation in Waterloo, Wisconsin, Marshall, Wisconsin, uh, rural Deerfield, Wisconsin, Cambridge, Wisconsin, 
and Lake Mills. And our congregation's probably about 200 members and our, our sisters, our daughters, many of them are bigger than us now, like uh, St. Paul's Lake Mills is uh, 1600 members. So we were kind of the, the mother church that helped plant other churches and then the, the little churches uh, that we helped, God blessed, and, and they kept on exploding while we we're kind of more in a rural area. So have depended on, on people traveling out to us or farm families kind of for our members for years. But as far as rural co congregations go, we are, we are very healthy. Uh, God is blessing us with great people and resources to do ministry. Um, and that led to some mission efforts we're doing. And I, I'm assuming you want to talk about those too. That would be great. But let's see if Jeremy has some questions. Oh, I've always got questions, but uh, let, let's not derail the conversation here. So uh, back in 2018, the, the rural congregations in this area were starting to deal with something the Synod has been talking about that a number of rural congregations are going to be dealing with, if, if not already, called the 50-60 Challenge. Uh, congregations with 50 or less in worship with an age demographic of the congregation that's typically 60 or over. Uh, that's not necessarily our congregation. We have a little bit more attendance and diversity, but a number of the congregations in our area were dealing with that, um, two of them specifically. And so the con conversation was in the circuit, how do we help these rural congregations um, and, and one of the ideas was doing multi-site ministry, maybe having a pastor serving multiple parishes or uh, the district mission board of our area. And Mike can maybe talk a little bit more about what district mission boards do since he's a part of one, um, said, hey, uh, Deerfield, Wisconsin, which is about 12 minutes away from our location, is a bedroom community of Madison, Wisconsin, and Sun Prairie has grown next to Madison, and so is Cottage Grove, and it seems that the next city in that path is Deerfield to possibly grow. So Deerfield's a community of about 2,000 residents that are statistically 56% unchurched. And currently, they're very unusual when it comes to a Wisconsin small town, because they only have one congregation in town, and that one is uh, an ELCA, ELCA congregation that seems to be dwindling. Most Wells congregations, or most Wells uh, rural areas have communities where there's the Catholic Church and the Baptist Church and the Lutheran Church and the... That, that's just not our setting here. So we're trying to reach out to Deerfield. Uh, and part of my call was to head an effort for uh, the number of congregations in this area to help plant a mission in Deerfield. So our congregation and leadership is kind of taking the lead on that and inviting the other congregations, the Wells congregations in the area to partner with us on that effort. So that that started really in earnest May 1st of 2020. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be leaving and flying out on Monday 
for our board for all missions meeting, which is getting all together, all of our district mission boards uh, from across the United States and Canada. And we're gonna be getting together our mission boards of Southeast Wisconsin, ours, Western Wisconsin, Northern Wisconsin, Michigan, and Minnesota to kind of learn from each other since our ministries and our areas are kind of the same. And uh, your Western Wisconsin uh, DMB chairman, he had sent an email that one of the things that we might be able to learn from him is that next town over mindset, kind of what you're talking about is that we don't have a church there. And what you're talking about reminds me of, while well, I was holding a divine call in, in uh, December, and then I had called up the chairman, Ivan, and then I announced that I was returning the call. And, he, and we talked about that. And about five minutes later, he called back and said, hey, I've got a question for you that while you were holding the call, these two smaller churches out in, the, uh, in our area, they've been doing a dual parish and they haven't been able to get a pastor for a long time. Uh, now that you return the call, would you have been interested in you know, a tri-parish? And I said, well, absolutely not. I said, that's three congregations kind of pretending to work together. I said, uh, you know, these are, those other two congregations, you know, they might just be wanting to be fed until everyone kind of dies off. And, and that's not healthy. And they would just be dragging the congregation that had initially called me, which was a very healthy congregation, down. And I said, but if those two congregations want to become multi-sites so that you all go in together, become one congregation in two or three sites, and then you're able to have two pastors, that's very exciting. And I could hear the pause in, his, uh, in the conversation, like, shoot. Why didn't we tell him beforehand? Then I said, I still would, I still would return the call. I can't leave here yet. But uh, that's kind of an exciting ministry. That that second site ministry, I think, is the way of our synod to be able to rescue some of these outlying congregations. And obviously, I'm I'm passionate about that since that's what we did here to become water of life. Knowing knowing Jeremy and how brilliant he is, I'm sure that that's what dawned on him as we picked these particular lessons for me to talk to you guys about, because we are going to talk about a ministry agenda and, yep. and how, how do leaders look at that issue versus maybe people in the parish look at that issue. And, and to be honest, um, we're running into some of that challenge now. How do you get, how do you get multi- number congregations to pull together on the same rope uh, with an issue when everybody's got different congregational culture and different congregational agendas and different vibes of how things ought to be done. And I think some of these lessons are going to speak to that. But one of the things we're, we're trying to do, and we have a proposal in front of our district mission board, is we happen to have a, a called worker who's a member of our congregation, a pastor who's going back to school for continuing education and counseling. And one of the things that is really needed in this area um, is more Christian quality counselors. So part of our proposal for doing mission work is sharing him part-time with, with a fancy word, parasonautical, uh, a group affiliated to our church body, but they're their own entity called 
used to be called Wisconsin Lutheran Child and Family Service. Now it's called Christian Family Solutions to basically open up a counseling center in Deerfield that will also serve as our ministry center. And we hope through those opportunities of meeting people where they're at in, in their times of needing support, that, that gives us opportunities to do some ministry. A lot of our churches do that through educational type offerings to communities. We just happen to have in our ministry toolbox, somebody who brings these gifts to the table. But um, yeah, this whole, this whole cooperative ministry model is something that we're probably not used to in our circles because the generations before us really, really didn't use that model. They had a different model. And we're kind of we're kind of figuring out how to build the plane as as we're trying to fly it. So yeah. Well, and, and to that, Kevin, it wasn't like Jeremy and I were so smart that we chose the lesson based on who we had as a guest. It was people way smarter than us put together the the lectionary, and then I saw it was coming up and said, I think Pastor Kevin Hunley, he'd be perfect for this. So that's how it worked. This is this is a behind-the-curtain look, people, at your pastors, where sometimes since God's word is so powerful and effective, you might get the impression that we actually kind of figured this all out and made it all come together. Uh, it's just the, the gracious Heavenly Father that we serve who just says, here's a gift. Here you go. So... Jeremy, you want to read the, the gospel lesson, and then we can ask some questions based on that? Sure. So this comes from Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 38. Jesus got up, left the synagogue, and went into Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, asked him to help her. He stood over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. Immediately, she got up and began to serve them. As the sun was setting, they brought to him all who were sick with various diseases. He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Demons also came out of many people, crying out, You are the Son of God! He rebuked them and did not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. When it was day, he went out to a deserted place. The crowds were looking for him. They went up to him and were trying to prevent him from leaving them, but he told them, must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns too, because that is why I was sent. And he continued to preach in the synagogues in the land of the Jews. So, so with that, I'll ask you guys both this question. Then I, I won't really want to focus on toward the end of it. Uh, that at Capernaum, uh, Jesus healed many people, including Peter's mother-in-law, and then I envision it was kind of like a mash unit outside of. Peter's home, everyone bringing their sick and lame and leprous and demon-possessed, and then Jesus is busy all day healing, uh, and the people didn't want him to leave. Why did Jesus leave then? If he had if he had work there to do, if he had healing there to do, why did he leave? Can I take a first swing, Jeremy? Please. So when I listened in last week to the the Lightning Treehouse episode. I was I was expecting to well actually it never dawned on me then. So you guys, you guys, I didn't hear it mentioned, but I, I just didn't put this context together. Uh last week was you guys were talking about Jesus preaching in Nazareth, correct? Yes, and the yes. context, the context of 
what he's talking about there in the prophet Isaiah, I didn't pick up on until I listened to another resource. Um, that context is Jesus citing a section of Isaiah where he's talking about uh, the year of Jubilee. And I don't know if anybody wants to uh, take a swing at explaining succinctly the year of Jubilee. Uh, Jeremy, do you, do you want to? or um, Basically, God said uh, every seventh set of seven years, so every 49 years, um, every 50th year, really, you don't farm your land and uh, just let whatever grows out of the ground on its own grow and let, let God take care of you without you doing any work, uh, just like God so often does. And um, the other interesting thing our uh, teacher at seminary would always tell us is we have no evidence that in the Bible that any, anybody ever did the year of Jubilee. They, even though God told them to, they, they said, no, we got to keep working. We got to keep plowing the ground and, and farming our, our land and uh, didn't ever give the land its rest. So then the, they went into exile and yeah. Uh, yeah, take it from there. There was also uh, the, the canceling of debts. Um, everyone's debts were canceled. And if anyone sold land, they got that land returned to them because that was their family's claim on the, on the promised land. And God wanted his people to have that, that claim to say, Hey, this I'm, I'm linked to this, this, this promise is real. And, so back to the and, and if someone was sold, had to sell themselves in slavery to pay mm-hmm. a debt, they were also set Freed. free because God didn't want his land or his people ever to be uh, held by other people again. So the, the context of that seems to be God is setting aside these physical reminders that he has every intention to step into this world of sin to right the wrongs, to, uh, to bring justice, to bring freedom to the captives, to be that ultimate, ultimate provider that we need. And I think when Jesus is, is saying, hey, I have come to fulfill these things, um, they're wrestling with how can this be the Messiah in the flesh? But this is, this is the reign of the Messiah. This is what people were longing for, someone to come and, and set things right and to undo the damage that sin has done. And so now you have Jesus basically at back at Capernaum living out that reign of God. I've come to set things right. So if people, if people are sick because uh, sin has affected them or disease is affecting them, uh, God says, I'm not going to stand for that. Sin, get out of here. Uh, let my child, let my daughter go free. Uh, the demon possessed. Hey, you guys, you guys were never to have the power and the authority to reign over one of my my children or one of my souls, knock this off, get off, get out of here. And so I just wanted to bring up that, that kind of aha to me of Jesus is doing his miracle ministry and healing ministry, but it's all part of the old Testament pictures of the Messiah is going to come with his reign and right the wrongs in this world. And, and we get to see glimpses of that. I don't know thoughts about that. Yeah, Jeremy, you want to take a swing at that question too? You know, why did why did Jesus leave? Uh, well, verse forty three is pretty straightforward. I, he told them, "I'm 
I must go, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns too, because that is why I was sent. Uh, so he, he's got, he's got his marching orders in his, in his mind. And when other people try to deter him, he says, these, these are, this is why, why I'm here. I need to get my job done. It, it talks about that tension we have, right? When, when we have peace and security in our life, we want to hang on to it. Uh, and Jesus is saying, hey, I, I need to go share my rescue and my deliverance with more people. Uh, and, and we have that tension in us of, I just want to hang on to this. And Jesus says, no, I, I'm so here you, to share it. Are you kind of, would it be a fair way to depict the people in Capernaum as saying like, Oh, this is great. We have this miracle worker. He can heal us. He can drive out demons. Let's, let's keep him here uh, so that things stay stable. And, um, and he, he says, no, I, I need to go elsewhere. Yeah. And I think, I think part of it, 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 it circles around Peter, right? It's at his house. There's some connection there with him. What's his desire later on at the Mount of Transfiguration? Hey, let's just set up shop here. You know, people can come and see you and then they'll see that you are who you really are. And I think, I think some of that is, is going on here, not only in Peter's heart, but also in the, the hearts of the people of Capernaum. Hey, we have a really good thing here. Let's just hang on to this and, and hang on and hang on to Jesus. And which I is, which is a, a, I mean, that's in one sense, that's a good and, and true thing to do is, is hang on to Jesus and not let him go. And, and he is, he is, but he can, he can be, he can be in more than one place at one time. True. That's God. I think ultimately this is going to eventually speak to a question we have to wrestle with of the desire in people in a congregation to say, I'm here because I want to be fed by Jesus versus a willingness to say, I want others to be fed by Jesus too. And I want to share this. Yeah. Before um, we get, before we get to that point, I just wanted to add here is, you bring in last week's gospel as Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth and he's speaking and the people want to throw him off a cliff and he walks through them. But here, maybe it's even more remarkable that the people want to keep him there and he walks away from them. He has, he has more ministry to do. He has, he's all about kingdom work. So to then for all of us to kind of think about, what does this gospel lesson have to say about keeping our, our focus as pastors? How does it help us to keep our people's focus on kingdom work? And how can a congregation lose sight of kingdom work when their agenda becomes, like you said, Kevin, just kind of, uh, let's just feed ourselves, let's protect ourselves. We'll get into like territorialism later on, but uh, how do we... Uh, how, how do we do that with ourselves and our people? Because we all have, uh, the three of us have very different ministries. So I want you to go ahead. First, I think Kevin. first is the awareness. You guys are talking about the awareness of realizing that Jesus' agenda for his ministry was very different than what people's agenda was and what they thought he ought to be doing. Um, and, and here we have that coming to loggerheads, right? They, they say, stay, we, we want to hang on to you. And he's like, no, nope, I got, I got to go. And I think sometimes we run into the corporate nature of the congregation 
and we run into people who talk about things like this is my church and this is what makes me feel comfortable and this is what I think ought to be done around here. And the challenge is you have to lovingly kind of remind those folks, this really isn't our church. This is, this is Christ's church. And what would he have us do and how would he have us do it? But there again, those, those loggerheads then, then come into contact with each other because my agenda might be very, very different than Jesus' agenda. Yeah, and, you know, I hear people say all the time, oh, we should be doing more in-reach, and other times we'll be doing outreach, and they make it one or the other, but it's, it isn't. It should be an, it should be an either-or. It should be a both-and. Uh, well, what about you, Jeremy, with, you know, your ministry at Shoreland, your youth ministry? Do you see that sometimes of, or how can we help our faculty there, the congregations that support Shoreland, to see that as an outreach as well? It's uh, it it comes across pretty clearly, I think. Um, there's a lot of talk about our student body being made up of uh, half, or, or maybe even close to over fifty percent uh, non-Lutheran, non-Wells students, and uh, that's a good thing that uh, we are getting to reach uh, people outside of our own walls. So I, yeah. I'd, yeah, that would be an interesting thing to think through. I, we've been talking a lot about territorialism and having an agenda and uh, how that plays out on the high school campus here uh, is going to be different. But uh, I, I don't know if I'm uh, ready to comment on it right at this moment. Um, I will say I know both of you have gone to the Holy Land. So as long as we've covered this verse here, um, I had to ask if you had the same tour guide I did who made the comment, uh, here's the synagogue in Capernaum and over there across the street is what is believed to be the foundation of Peter's house uh, where his mother would, mother-in-law would have been staying and Jesus went and healed his mother-in-law and then they both stayed friends afterward. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and what is interesting, I do remember that and, and I bring it up in my sermons of uh, going across the street. I talk about, you know, Jesus and his disciples going from the synagogue and uh, driving out the demon and so forth, and then crossing the street to Peter's home. And what's interesting about that church or about that home is uh, they've built a church above it. So you walk in below and you walk in the entryway and it's kind of a circular home, I believe. But then you go around the corner and up uh, a ramp and there is the church uh, built over the top of this this home, and what's interesting is up by the altar they've got a glass area where you can look down and see the people below and walking around getting a tour of that house. Capernaum is really neat in that, uh, yeah, it's one of those places when you visit the Holy Land where you can kind of go, uh, Jesus walked these streets. We we we're we're pretty sure of that. Um, but it's, it's traveling there is, is kind of like going from seeing the Bible in black and white to color, to be able to put some distances together, to be able to kind of get a topography, topography idea. If memory serves, I don't know if the original house was this way, but the church that seemed to be built around the house in ancient times, I believe, was kind of an octagon type vibe. Um, 
and that eight-sided reminder of baptism, uh, just like our baptismal fonts are, are eight-sided. Noah and his family in the ark reference. Uh, that was that was neat. And yeah, the glass floor in this believe Catholic church, we get to look yeah. down and see that see that foundation is is very well done. Uh, back to your school thing, though, Jeremy, I pray for you guys, because I think we're we're trying to ask a lot of you, because not only are you asking to uh, do mission work to those kids, but also kind of parent those parents and help families and all of that kind of stuff all in once. And absolutely, that's, that's absolutely, because because what the parents do then is, and, and I had this at the church I was at in Kansas with our preschool, too, is uh, I'd go and talk with the parents visit their homes and whatnot. And uh, I I think I'm kind of getting the same vibe here that I got there, which is the parents say, uh, well, oh, we love, oh, we love the school. We love the preschool. We love the high school because you guys give them that religion stuff. (laughs) And it's, and, and, and so that, so then we don't have to, and, and we also don't need to do it any other uh, on the weekends because they're getting it at the high school. And, I'm going to sharpen uh, that a little bit. Uh, I've run into parents like that too, but I, I, I also notice some, um, not so we don't have to, it's that we totally feel unequipped to, we, we don't even know true. where to start to it's true. train our kids in religious stuff. So it's, it's not that they want to check out. It's just that they've never had that model to them and they have nothing in their toolbox to help them with that. Just wrapping up this, this thing though, but um, Jesus, Jesus agenda seems to always make us uncomfortable because loving people and caring for them takes a lot of work. And so the easy default switch is to kind of go to our agenda, which is typically what's the path of least resistance? What's the way to make this done easy? What, how are we going to get this done without a huge amount of effort where (laughs) Jesus agenda is always sacrifice? What's best for somebody else? How do I put love into action? And that's hard. Uh, doing mission work is hard. And I like how you put those two side by side, though. It would be very easy for in, in you know, works righteousness to say sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. But the, what you immediately followed it with was not just sacrifice for randomness sake, but uh, sacrifice for the sake of this person right in front of you that, that you're talking to. Uh, you don't have to kill yourself for no good reason you go ahead and you're, I, i'm thinking of like romans uh 13 is it with the offer your bodies as living sacrifices not just for nothing but for this for for a real person that you can have a relationship with yeah and with that too i just finished writing uh, a sermon a stewardship sermon on uh the, the widow's mites and talked there about the people that were giving you know I asked her people in the sermon if it makes them comfortable or if they're kind of creeped out by the whole idea that Jesus is watching, you know, people watching. Because he's sitting there in the temple courtyard watching the people and giving their money. And I don't know if people think of it that way. Are they creeped out by that? Are they comforted by it? And then ask the people, are you giving comfortably that like the people that gave so much, you know, probably thousands of dollars in the offering box, and yet they had plenty to live on, as opposed to the widow who gave everything she gave sacrificially. And when it comes to mission work, as we're talking about, do we do what's comfortable or do we do 
what's sacrificial. Like after Bible study day, I had our people, uh, you know, the 15 that were there put together some inserts and business cards, both in English and Spanish about our school and church. Uh, and then it's about 15 degrees here in Racine. And for some reason, I didn't get any takers to go outside and do door <laughs> canvassing with me. <laughs> they, they sacrificed, yeah, they sacrificed about a half hour of time, but they don't want to sacrifice the cold either. But that's not the kind of sacrifice we're talking about and not even the sacrifice of offerings. I want to talk about the next, the, the sacrifice of, hey, if we're going to start that new church, the next town over, that may mean we're going to lose some of our members to that. And, you know, that new church and, you know, to set this up, I think of a congregation being a mission board chairman. This was years before my time on the mission board. And we'll just say it's farther south of where we are in another state. And one church was healthy and they wanted to start like a daughter congregation. That was well before we ever thought of doing second sites. So like your congregation at St. John, this is a congregation that through the history, 150 plus history, they start lots of congregations. They want to start another one uh, west, uh, be east of them. But then there was another Wells Church in the area that said, no, we we're opposed to that. The pastor was opposed to it. The people were opposed because it was encroaching on their territory. Even though it was another town over, they weren't gaining any members from it and so forth. But they were afraid that they might lose some people. And it was hard feelings. Thankfully, uh, the Lord of the Church brought in some new pastors in that area. And now it's looking like we're bringing a request into the board for omissions for funding for that second site, or now to be a brand new site. So I wanted to see Kevin, if you've experienced things like that. Yeah. Uh, you are, you are speaking to something that is definitely a front burner issue here on next, on this coming Sunday. Uh, instead of preaching at the mission, I have, I have a guest coming in to preach at the mission so that I can talk to a neighboring congregation who uh, they have, God be praised, they're a congregation that's well over 100 years old, but they now worship about 30, 30 souls. And they are, they are concerned of how the new mission, which will be, you know, eight minutes from them, is going to affect the long-term sustainability and viability of them as a congregation. And so some of the concern has been, well, if we do mission work there, then people are going to go there to the new shiny thing instead of come to us. Um, but the reality is that congregation hasn't really had a habit of, for a variety of reasons, pastor, pastoral turnover and things like that hasn't really been reaching out to the community. And so people don't really know about them and the family of faith that's been gathering there tends to be the family of faith. And they're, they're, they're picking up a few people here and there, and they're having a few people go home to see Jesus here and there, but they're looking ahead at the next decade or, or more saying what's going to happen with us. And so what we're trying to do is use the mission opportunity as a partnership. Hey, come and partner with us to hand out flyers and, and do things at the new mission site. And we as a group want to help you as a congregation live out your evangelism goals to say, we'll help you on a day that you want to hand out flyers 
in the community around your church. Uh, we want to we want to do this together so that there's no winners or losers in the kingdom. It's just we're doing kingdom work. But what you're pointing to is, is I think, a challenge that a lot of people face and that I think we as pastors need to be more aware of is we're thinking ministry all the time just because it's part of our vocation, right? It's part of what we do. Um, the people that I serve are wonderful, God-fearing people, but I don't think they think about ministry and implications as much as I do in a given week. Sure. They are feeding cows. They are taking kids to school. They are, you know, working at the factory. They, they are living their life and serving the Savior how they serve, but they're not always thinking through ministry and its implications. So you get together for a meeting to talk about mission work or whatever. And my question to you guys is, have you found a way to get people on the same page to help them think ministry versus my frame of reference is, well, this is what I would do, but that might not be coming from a ministry viewpoint. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Why don't you go ahead first, Jeremy? Uh, I, I certainly don't have the magic bullet to that. <laughs> like getting getting everybody all on the side i think that is more of an art than a science um and of course it, it can only happen through uh exposure to the means of grace it's, it's maybe kind of like the analogy of the triangle with a marriage uh if you've got two people at the bottom uh corners of the triangle and, and the closer they're drawn to christ the closer they'll get to each other uh that's that's going to be the miracle that has to happen in a a council or a, um, a board meeting type setting too, where the, let's start, are we all, do we sure that is something I will say, because we've been throwing around the word ministry a lot in, uh, in this conversation. And yeah, that is something that hits very close to home for me um, that I think a lot of times people use that word. And I don't think we all have the same definition of what we mean when we say ministry, it, it, it literally means service. It's a Latin word for serving, serving someone like a waiter or waitress would do. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, that that's something that's familiar for me. So to, you know, to have the to have the tension and the, the the conflict and how to work that out. So just so you know, Kevin, um, and, and note that that I did not bring up Latin or anything like that. That would have been Jeremy that does does that in our podcast uh, i uh i failed a year of high school because of latin so i'm not bringing up latin yeah okay. so there you go uh we do we should have you should have a bingo card for every podcast <laughs> and there's certain things that people can track along with and maybe uh latin phrases is one of them. there you go uh i guess what i would add to that when when you were talking kevin i had written down i think our people and even pastors uh, that, that deal with this, uh, they have this territorial mindset is they're sanctified and they want to protect what they have and what they've been given from, from the past. But I, I think they think it's an addition and subtraction. If we're, we're doing this and something else does that, well, there's only so much territory. There's only so many people that, and members to go around. What I tried doing uh, when we did our merger is we always talked about uh, having our two churches come together as one. So we're not 
just duplicating ministry. We always talked about multiplying ministry. And I stressed, what can we do better together than we're doing separately? And that was a big thing of saying, all right, New Hope on the north side and Epiphany here, we're doing the exact same ministry. We're trying to reach the youth. We've got small Sunday schools, small Bible studies, pastors doing the sermons and exactly the same thing. But what if, what if the two of us become one church instead of two churches struggling to pay uh, for New Hope? You know, they could only pay for 75% of a pastor. Maybe we could pay for 25% of a pastor, but we needed one, a second pastor. But maybe together we can have two pastors and Lord willing, we'll get one, a second pastor someday. But now what can we do better together as, as that multiplying the ministry? And uh, two weeks ago, I had a retired pastor call me up and ask me, than to be the guest speaker at, a, at the spring 2023 Lutheran Women's Missionary Society, LWMS rally, just to talk about this kind of multi-site ministry. So here's a guy that is retired from the public ministry, and yet he sees this as kind of the wave of the future to be able to go to that next town over, rescue some of these smaller churches to do things better than you can do separately. Just one more thought with this. I, I think coming out of the pandemic, hopefully uh, we're still wrestling with some of that stuff. Um, the The mission, uh, I serve a congregation in Jefferson County where life goes on and the pandemic seems to be, you know, people are, are not living on the edge. Uh, the mission is in Dane County, which is a county that there are mass mandates and, and those types of things. I don't know as we come out of the pandemic how people patterns will be. I think the the people who make predictions about this are saying not everybody's going to come back to church who was there before. So I think we're still going to be dealing with congregations that are going to be having less people and less people means we're not able to fund and support ministry we used to prior to the pandemic just because we don't have the resources there. So I think God is going to force a lot of congregations to say, how do we, how do we look at those situations creatively? How do we partner with our neighbors? How do we work together? Um, and so maybe he's getting us out of a congregational mindset where we just think about our ministry and start really focusing on a, a big K kingdom mindset to say, I, I need to be more aware of and thinking about ministry, not just what's going on in my congregation, but what's going on in the kingdom and the congregations around me. And how are we, how are we cooperating or working together for the sake of Christ versus kind of what we've become accustomed to of just, we, we care about what's happening inside of our doors. And maybe this is just God's way of, of forcing us to think bigger and differently about that issue. I, I, we'll see. Yeah. No, it, Rev Kev. Uh, yes, Chair Bear. I, I just came up with that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with it. Uh, <laughs> Rev Kev. I've that before, Rev Kev, yes. Okay. Uh, so uh, it was actually you one time long ago who told me something that, that has kind of stuck with me. Um, and, and it was something you were, you were presenting it as a good idea that you wished you would have used. Uh, and, and 
it, it was a, it was a brother pastor uh, in a different area of uh, of the state actually, who um, was sort of merging into multi site ministry type of work, uh, and he was pastoring a much larger flourishing congregation, and they were trying to take a smaller one under their wing. And uh, you you said that the strategy he used was let's actually we we need to close down all operations at the, at the site of the smaller one and bring everybody. You, you just need to get into the habit of coming here. And that's not, that one over there isn't going to go away. It's not going to die, but, but you just need to get used to the big picture first of we're, we're all on the same team uh, regardless of, of where we come to worship at. And uh, I don't know if I really have a questioner and making a comment about this, but if, if either of you want to respond to it, I, that always stuck with me when you when you told me about that, and I thought there's there's probably a lot of wisdom in that. I, I think in the recesses of my cesspool of a memory, somewhere in there, I kind of know what you're talking about. And I think what he was trying to do is kind of restart a congregation, and for a time, it needed to kind of say this is this is dormant for a time because what we're doing here is not a redo of what didn't work. We're going we're gonna to have a whole new start here, but for a time, we need to let the community know that this one's done so that we can do something different. And so for a time, we're going to have the remnants of that congregation come and join us. And from a leadership perspective, that sounds really great. Uh, the challenge is when you actually now talk to those people and say, are you willing to make that sacrifice where your service time is no longer, you're, you used to be a nine o'clock family. Now we're asking you to be a 10 o'clock family. Hey, you used to go to that building where you and your bride were married and your kids were baptized, but now we're not going to use that building anymore. This is where that emotional tie comes in. And again, it comes down to, am I okay with Jesus agenda for the church being different than mine? Because what we all want is for our church to just go on perpetually. But the problem is uh, the church is a living thing. And sometimes they have a birth date and sometimes they're going to have an end date. And that's hard for us as people to deal with because we like our church. But ultimately, it's that reminder that it's God's church. Um, when you guys did some merging at uh, your congregation, Mike, I don't know if you you probably ran into people patterns and some people didn't like change and, and that kind of stuff. Anything to speak oh. about there and how you navigated that? Oh, we're still navigating it. We're trying to, <laughs> we're trying to figure out right now, like what to do with our midweek Lenten services and that uh, when we were planning it, you know, the year as we were working on the merger, the team that was working on the worship had said, you know what, Maybe since the Caledonia campus, they're smaller, we'll do the midweek advent there and we'll do the, the larger attended midweek Lenten services with the meal in between at the, Cali at the Racine campus. And then we got to advent and the worship committee said, no, let's do 4.30 at Racine because they have uh, the majority of the older people and the majority of, of the kids. And then 6.30 at the Caledonia campus. That went really well. So we're looking at doing the same thing. And then I said, well, let's try and have everyone at one campus and then have the meal in between because we worked on it on the merger for a year. Uh, we've been merged for a year, but we've only had two opportunities. One, the 
the worship service where we voted on merging on Shoreland in October of 2020, and then September of 2021, our Unity Sunday with a picnic. And that's it. That's the only times we've had everyone together at one time. And I said uh, that it'd be great instead of looking at the, the back of people's heads in worship, if we can look each other in the, in the eyes, talk to each other, uh, sit across from each other for a meal. I'm going to be gone for the worship community meeting. And I said, I trust that you guys will do whatever you want. But the idea is that our leaders are wrestling with these things because we do have our favorite sites and so forth. And that's okay. But the idea is we're working and it's for everyone to understand it's not North siders, not South siders. It's we're all together. And I'm trying to get our people to see too, uh, hey, you can go 15 minutes to the other side of town for worship. As I'm working with one of my daughter's college students who's not Wells, but likes the Wells, she was going to the campus ministry in River Falls and now has moved to North Carolina. But the only problem is we don't have any Wells churches within an hour. I found one 50 minutes away, but it, it, it's 50 minutes away and it's another state. But telling our people, if I can get her to go to another state and she's not even Wells, another state that's 50, 50 minutes away, you can drive for 15 minutes to the opposite campus for worship. Yeah. The, the only thing I've come up with uh, is just being honest with people. Hey, mission work and, and some of the things we're going to need to do to accommodate other people is going to mean change. And, and, and you're probably not going to love that or relish that it's going to be difficult because change is tough on us. We, we like the patterns we like, we like the things that we're familiar with, but why are we doing this? We're doing this for the sake of souls and, and think of all the things that Christ did, you know, for our sake. And so um, this is a part of picking up our cross and serving him. Uh, how do we, how do we put others first? How do we love them? Um, we're going to heaven. Uh, praise God. He's given us that gift and he's, he's assured us of that by his grace. Uh, he wants more to go on that trip with us. So how do we, how do we make that possible and, and invite people to be a part of this kingdom work? I think, I think that's part of last thought I had on this gospel text was uh, the interesting thought of discipleship um, I, I tried to spend time one time figuring out why would Peter want to get out of the boat and say, can I come to you, Jesus? And that led down a bunny trail of discipleship in Jesus day and culture was um, not just becoming a student of a rabbi, but following that rabbi in the hopes that you could become just like that guy. You would become a clone of the rabbi. So when Peter sees his rabbi, his teacher doing this stuff, he's like, I want to do that. So Jesus is like, come on. But here's the big implications for us. Um, Jesus is saying, I want you to go out and, and be a part of speaking to the darkness in this world as you reflect my light. I'm, I want you to be a part of you know, uh, freeing the captives and opening the eyes of the spiritually blind. And that means you might have to go travel to them. And so hunkering down makes sense to us, but Jesus' agenda is who else can I go? Who else can I go serve? And we live in a world where I think the church to us means 
safety and security. And this is, this is where I feel safe. And Jesus is like, that's great, but I want you to go out on the limb for me and my kingdom to go serve others. And that might, that might mean a little discomfort for you, but it's going to be okay. I gotcha. Uh, that's easy to talk about. It's hard to do. So you were, well, you were, uh, saying that about the discipleship and being like your rabbi, it made me think of first um, John four uh, verse 17. It says in this way, his love has been brought to its goal among us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment, because in this world, we are just like Jesus. Yep. You, you are covered with my name. Uh, when God sees you, he sees nothing less than Christ. Uh, how do I get to go be Christ to the people around me? Um, that, that probably takes some service and sacrifice and that's tough, but that's, that's kingdom work. Welcome to ministry, right? Um, I just want to point out, Michael, uh, that you have, well, first of all, we may be running out of time, uh, but second of all, uh, I wanted to tell you uh, on a less sacred note that um, I see your background there with your, your favorite show and I have to admit, I, this past week, I think I, I binged it. And uh, is there, are there just about eight episodes of The Mandalorian? Yeah, there's probably eight episodes in each season. Oh, there's more seasons coming? There's, well, there's two seasons of The Mandalorian. And then... Uh, oh, the see, that's... Well, the, 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 the greatest news today was hearing the gospel from you two. But uh, the, good, the good news of that I get, I got another season of The Mandalorian to watch is... Uh, the, I am not a huge Star Wars geek in any way, but I have to admit that is a that's a pretty good piece of uh, well, storytelling there. I have been disappointed in waiting every Wednesday for a new episode of Boba Fett. Uh, well, here here's the thing for you uh, for you guys and those listening. So my background is the Mandalorian uh, with his ship the razor crest i knew you guys knew what the name of the ship was too it is weird that mike has been wearing the same helmet as boba fett throughout this whole episode but <laughs> hey you gotta have that they, won't, they so won't they won't know any better correct and the, but yeah. see so here's the thing but with that special helmet you can see that with a visor you can see the the markings of the mythosaur and so forth so that's oh. from so what, what that's from is jeremy is I would always say that the best show on television is Mandalorian seasons one and two. And now they have the book of Boba Fett, uh, which is okay. It's not fantastic, except this last episode was because it was really just another episode of the Mandalorian. Uh. So, and so here's, here's the thing is uh, in the, in the previous episode, you got to listen to the, the, the little, little flute sound that is the mandalorian if you listen for it there's two different times it shows up in the in the last episode of boba fett and then you know all right the mandalorian i think that noise is something i made in recorder class in freshman year (laughs) of high school when we were trying to learn how to play the recorder what's his Uh, what's his rifle called oh i'll have to think of that i i have plans to make one by the way just in case of course you do (laughs) Uh, since, but since this has taken a turn, yes, just one last thing. Yeah, my daughter uh, says hello, and 
Uh, Jeremy, you might know this. Mike and my daughter Delaney have a running feud over whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not. Here is a clip of said <laughs> actor from Die Hard, uh, Mr. Willis, Bruce Willis, saying saying this. Let me see if I can pull it up. Oh, hang on. Oh, technical Wait. error. There you go. What does he know? Bruce says it's not a Christmas movie. Delaney wins. Bruce Willis. The star himself. Yep. What more could be said? There you go. Well, I'll say some more on that. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) to wrap this up, we won't talk about this uh, today, but everything you guys were talking about um, made me think of in future episodes, just uh, how do we do this mission work? Uh, you know, I'll, I can share in future episodes talking about launch teams and uh, building up a core group. So a launch team is so like if you get a healthy congregation where you're serving at St. John and now you want to do this new start in Deerfield that you kind of uh, borrow some members for a while or you just have members that are in Deerfield. That's the core group. Uh, we can talk in a future episode about you might have to close down a church like you mentioned, Kevin for a little while and then you do a restart so those are all kinds of things for listeners to you know you know your pastors it, your lay people your your uh, mission board uh people those are all things we're working on always with that agenda of going to the next town over where do we have a, a spot where we can do where we can multiply ministry i think it would be a gift to the church to have resources that a congregation can look at that's contemplating this to kind of picture if they've never been through this path before, what does that look like? And that uh, in hindsight would have, would been really nice to provide resources to leaders and congregational members to say, what does this step look like and and what's involved? So Mike, I I would encourage you to, to, to find a way to do that. Mike, I would encourage you to do more work. Thank you. That's right. I am. I am bored. (laughs) Somebody was just talking about writing sermons ahead of time. Yeah. 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 And and I got to get on my 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 brand new fat tire bike to go biking before it could start too. Uh, So, anything else you guys want to bring up before we wrap this up? I appreciate the discussion. Uh, Great stuff to talk to great guys about our great God. So thank you very much. Uh, Jeremy, do, can you let Kevin into the Lightning Treehouse? Yes, of course. Uh, we'll All get right. your father on that. It should not be just for the grandkids. It should be for his children also. So there you go. That's right. And then, so then uh, next week, we'll have Pastor Tom Cuck. He is the new pastor at Atonement Lutheran Church in Milwaukee. Uh, he served in a mission field in Johnson City, Tennessee, and then for a number of years at the seminary uh, in Mequon. He just uh, had accepted a call this fall and then is a brand new pastor at Atonement. We'll have him on next week as we talk about the need for more called workers. So this is Pastor Michael Zarling with Pastor Uh, Kevin Hunley and Pinky Gascatero. Stay thirsty, my (laughs) friends, then drink deeply from the water of life.
Say that again. Pinky Gascatero. I think it's Tuscadero. Nope. This is from Psych. 